Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Who's up for Think of It, Dear John and Hank? It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. I'm starting up a new band. I'm really excited about it. It's called 999 Megabytes. Uh-huh. We are really good, I think. I think we're really great, but we, we still haven't gotten a single gig. <sighs> I was able to see that one coming around the corner, which made it a little less unbearable than most of them. <laughs> Hank, would you like to know what I would have tweeted this week? Uh-huh. I would have tweeted, here's the teaser trailer for the Looking for Alaska Hulu show, which comes out on October 18th. You can binge it everywhere. Except it just on Hulu. By everywhere, I mean on Hulu <laughs> in America. I, uh, I watched that and I tweeted about it myself. So I did, I represented oh, you. Oh, thank you. Thing. I really appreciate it when you take over the self-promo duties for me. I know that like my publisher <laughs> sometimes emails you and asks you uh -huh. to tweet about my work. It's true. And you being cool about that is deeply appreciated. Uh -huh. Well, I just I just happened to come across it. It was on my timeline and it had already lots of love. It had like 12,000 likes or something. And I was like, look at this well, that happening is good. without any of us needing to pay attention to it. Yeah. 12,000 likes. That sounds like a lot of likes. I have no idea if that's good or bad in 2019 Twitter. Now, are people still <laughs> using that platform? Uh, I don't know if anybody's heard, but John isn't on Twitter. I'm not. And I'm uh, I'm not going back. <laughs> John, I have an idea for a new segment that I want to do today. Great. As pe people who follow me on Twitter might have heard, you hit me with a business idea recently, and it made me question reality. Okay. Not in like the way that like this idea is so good that I'm questioning reality, but in the way that like you think this idea is so good, and I don't. So there must be something wrong with me because I'm not excited about a business idea, and that's my brand. Yeah. I would submit that your brand is actually being excited about your own business ideas. That <laughs> uh, might be true. I, I think it that I, I think actually, if you'd come up with the exact same business idea that I proposed <laughs> to you, you would have thought it was amazing. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. Well, maybe our segment that will come along later today will give us more insight into that quirk of my brain. We will see. You're not going to tell me the segment. I'm just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait. Okay. 
Can I tell you my favorite t-shirt that I've seen in the last six months? That sounds like a great segment. Just John's favorite t-shirts. Can I tell you the two t-shirts I've seen in the last six months that I loved the most? Both of these t-shirts have made me think really, really hard about my life and my priorities and my values. One of them was actually inside a glass case in the Indiana State Museum. The Indiana State Museum is a fascinating place. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Because... The great thing about the Indiana State Museum is they tell the whole history of all of the Earth, like going back, you know, like 800 million years, but Uh only in the land that is currently Indiana. So it is exclusively (laughs) concerned with what happened 400 million years ago in what is now Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? It's good to have limitations. You have to focus. Exactly. So I went there with Philip from Kurtzgazat, Mm -hmm. and we saw a T-shirt that blew both of our minds behind a glass case that just said, by reading this, you have given me brief control of your mind. Oh, yeah. Which is essentially like a summary of the entire internet and our information feeds in general but also humanity that's all that's everything that's what just like by listening to this podcast you've given me a piece of you and i appreciate it thank you to the, all the people listening who have who have made that decision and i hope that it is i hope that it is mutually beneficial can i tell you the other great t-shirt i've seen in the last few months first i want to know when this when was this shirt from i have no idea like shirts with like slogans on them aren't that old yeah no i mean it, it, it appeared to be relatively recent. As I said, the Indiana State Museum tells the whole history from 800 million years ago to like a couple weeks ago when the curator saw a T-shirt they liked. <laughs> but anyway, the other T-shirt I saw that I just absolutely loved, I couldn't believe how beautiful and brilliant it was. It was a T-shirt that said in large block letters, I work hard so I can give my Yorkie a better life. <laughs> Oh, that's where we're at. That's where we've gotten to. <laughs> I I love that that person loved their Yorkie so much. Yeah, I mean, we're all looking for meaning, John, and sometimes it's in a it's in the size of a teacup and but it's a dog. <laughs> Speaking of looking for meaning, there's one question this week, Hank, that was overwhelmingly the, the question that needed answering the most. This is the toothbrushing one? No, although that, that one did seem like a strange <laughs> crisis, and it was full of mystery. No. <laughs> no. Okay. The one we have to get to first is this one from Joseph, who writes, Dear John and Hank, if the giant stone statue of Abraham Lincoln in the Lincoln Memorial were to suddenly come alive and say that he wants to be able to run for president and fix America, would he constantly Constitutionally be allowed to. I recently visited Washington, D.C., and this question has been haunting me ever since. Stones and sorcery, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, I think we're, we've run up against a couple of potential problems. Strongly disagree. I think it's fair to say that giant stone Abraham Lincoln was born in America. Yep. So that, like, I think that giant stone Abraham Lincoln is a citizen. I don't, like, there's nothing in the rules that you have to be 
like a flesh and blood human being, right? Right. No, you have to and, be a person. I don't right, think because I'm pretty yeah. sure if I if I remember the uh, Citizens United Supreme Court decision correctly, mm. I'm pretty sure it's already been declared that you can be a non-human person if, for instance, <laughs> you are Google. Yeah, no, but I don't think that Google can run for president. Oh, but I think that Google if, like, could totally Stone... run for president. Yeah, no, it would be a five to four <laughs> Supreme Court decision, but it it would it would get right. through. I think there is definitely uh, self-awareness and sentience and like that's all happening and we need to like just all agree that giant stone Abraham Lincoln is a person. And a natural born citizen of the United States and over the age of 35. Ergo. Nope, 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 nope. In no way is giant stone Abraham Lincoln over the age of 35. In every way. You are not born. You are not born the moment your statue was carved. You are not born the moment your likeness's existing flesh body was born. No, giant stone Abraham Lincoln is born the moment he is imbued with consciousness. And so we need to have 35 years during which giant stone Abraham Lincoln campaigns for president. And he does it very carefully and thoughtfully. And he has to get updated on a lot of stuff, right? That's like, true. I wouldn't want that he's coming stone... into the world with like Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't mean to stop you, Hank. But if he has to get mm-hmm. updated on a lot of stuff, that implies that giant stone Abraham Lincoln remembers what it was like to be the original Abraham Lincoln. And if that's the case, he is over 35 and he can be president tomorrow. I, You're imagining a situation uh, in which giant stone Abraham Lincoln comes to life, stands up off of that gigantic marble chair <laughs> and says, goo goo gaga and like <laughs> and, and needs diapers and like has, has to have full time care until like the age of 11 or 12, at which point Giant Stone <laughs> Abraham Lincoln becomes like semi-independent, etc. Right, Giant, right. Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln has to go to college. No, Giant no, Stone like Abraham Giant Lincoln Stone has to Abraham go to element. is Abraham Lincoln. No, I, I think it's very important that Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln go through the entire process of being a child in America today. And so Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln has to go to elementary school and they have to build a special Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln elementary school to fit him in. There's no way, Hank, that America can make it to 2058 waiting (laughs) for Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln to come of age when he can lead us back to an inclusive, loving the country that 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 we know we can be is right around the corner if giant stone abraham lincoln can will lead us there and you're proposing to put him in elementary school that's ludicrous <laughs> I'm, okay i'm just saying john i haven't read the short story in which this all happens yet but i'm really looking forward to it in my version of the short story giant stone abraham lincoln wakes up and is is a baby. He's a giant baby and he has to be taken care of. I mean, that is the worst. <laughs> Narratively, that is the worst. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's a twist. You think, <laughs> oh, we're all saved. But then he's just, then he's just like, eh, all right. Eh, well, eh. <laughs> yeah. you're better at plotting than I am. So I'm just going to assume that that's the correct answer, even though it strikes me as utter hogwash. Regardless, I look forward to the day whenever it comes when Abraham Lincoln returns to take back what is rightfully his. Wait, what about term limits? So if it's your version yeah. and Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln is just an extension of existing Abraham Lincoln, he can't be president because he's already been president. Well, he I don't I would argue he didn't get to serve out the full second term. That's so maybe we could make an exception. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting I mean, is, thought, is that, John. Is it too soon for that? Uh, I think it's a good point. 
I'm glad that that's where we started today, John. I, I do, for some reason, and somehow I feel a little bit better after having answered that question. Yeah, I think we're going to be fine. Maybe there we is just, hope. We just need giant stone Abraham Lincoln to come and remind us that it's not necessary to have a 480-day presidential election season. That's not a season. <laughs> it's many years. But what if... Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln has a 35-year presidential election season where he just talks to people. He's on a listening tour? Yeah, he's on a listening tour. That sounds nice. I think probably the biggest surprise for Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln, like, it would definitely be weird, right, to be, re- like, suddenly back to life when you died in 1865. But I think mm-hmm. the weirdest thing... Would be being be... giant and stone? No, no, no. It wouldn't be that you're giant and stone. It wouldn't be, like, cars or airplanes or antibiotics or any of that... I think the weirdest thing would be like trying to explain how Rand Paul got elected to the Senate. (laughs) I bet there was some weird election stories for Abe's Senate colleagues as well, John. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, one of them almost uh, got beaten to death on the floor of the flipping Congress by a cane. And then the guy who almost beat the other guy to death got reelected. Well, oh, America was always bonkers. Let's move on. America, (laughs) put that on a T-shirt. (laughs) This next question comes from Courtney, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently purchased a VIP ticket to the Minotaur in Minnesota in August. Thank you, Courtney. I'm really excited to see you. I'm coming from Michigan, and none of my real-life friends are nerdfighters. Not for lack of trying, so I'm flying solo. I feel a bit uncomfortable about it, but I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. How do I appear to be not a weirdo to the people I'm sitting next to? What are some good conversation starters? Any other tips or tricks for going to a show solo? Looking forward to it. Sincerely, Courtney. First off, Courtney, thank you. Hank, we will be in Madison and Minneapolis on respectively August 16th and August 18th. People can get tickets at hankandjohn.com. All the proceeds from the tour will go to support our efforts to reduce maternal mortality in Sierra Leone. We're really excited about this little tour, and if it works, we'll be doing more of them in other cities. So please come see us in Madison and or Minneapolis. And Courtney, thank you for doing it solo because it's hard to do things and it's even harder to do them by yourself. Yeah, absolutely true. I have been two shows solo and I have to say, in my experience doing that, I don't tend to come out of it having had lots of conversations. So one, I think it's fine to go to the thing without the expectation of like having a chat. Right. Also, I think it's like totally not weird to see someone who's come by themselves to an event like this. No. So like that, like it is very normal and I do that all the time. I would imagine like 30 or 40% of people will be there by themselves. Yeah. So I don't think that you will feel weird in that sense. Like I, I don't think that it will be unusual. As far as like having conversations in the like run up to the show or after the show, my strategy is usually to let that stuff happen organically because if I over-prepare, and I have a bad habit uh-huh. of doing this, if I over-prepare like, topics for potential conversation, that's when people are like, wow, you really are ready for this conversation. <laughs> I like to... But if you just let it happen or right. not happen, then hmm. that tends to work better for me personally, but I know everybody's different. And then, you know, the main thing of the show, hopefully, is that the show will hopefully be amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's really our job to entertain you. And then after the show, 
Uh, the ideal topic of conversation will be, didn't Hank and John do a reasonably good job of entertaining us during that show? <laughs> that is really mostly what I want to hear. And I try to, I like to have like pretty honest, like, how did it go? Was it good? Any actual feedback you'd like to give me? What parts were bad? What parts were good? Also, so I have a, a, a thought and I'm interested in your, your thought on this thought, John. I have seen, and I think it's a good idea to have a book. So if you're looking at your phone, especially if you have headphones in, but if you're looking at your phone, like it feels we weirder to interrupt somebody on their phone to me. Yeah. And I'm curious about this than it does to interrupt someone who's reading a book. And all, also the book can be like an invite to like, have you also read this book? Mm -hmm. Maybe we could talk about this book. Maybe you want to bring a John or Hank Green book. And so people be like, oh, that's the book. How's the book? Do you like the book? I haven't read the book or I have. And so it's like an invite to a conversation. Yes. Signal. That's a great um, idea. And you can also do that with a pizza John shirt. Like there are various ways that you can sort of in like kind of express that you have a conversation starter visible for, for I, the people. But I like the book idea especially if it's one of my books <laughs> in hardcover. Especially if you don't own it yet and want to go buy one. Or you feel like you need a second copy just because, <laughs> you know, you're traveling with it. You don't want to... I'm just kidding. I don't, yeah, I don't care. I think you're I don't, good. Buy <laughs> Hank's book. He, he needs the money. Oh. <laughs> this next question comes from Catherine. Dear Hank and John, I'm a big fan of art and I love supporting artists when I can. A little while after getting my first job, I started buying some art prints uh, because I've always wanted to decorate my walls. And now that I have like eight unframed prints, I realized that framing is a whole thing. Most of my art prints are weird sizes, so I'd have to get custom frames. And every time I look at the prices, they're significantly more expensive than the art itself. I bought the art because it brought me joy, but now when I see them laying around without a frame, I just get sad and stressed. Somehow bougie enough for art, but not bougie enough for frames. Catherine, this is, no one told me this, but I am 100% on board with you, Catherine. The whole, the, the whole thing, I've, I've been shocked. I, and I don't know how to handle it except to buy art that is the size of the pre-made frames. No, framing is expensive because framing is itself an art and framing is incredibly It's, it's labor, important. absolutely. It's not easy, yeah. it's not cheap, it requires a lot of expertise and so it's expensive, like a lot of other things that require a lot of expertise. Here's my take on it. Unless it is art that you feel a responsibility to conserve, and it sounds like you're buying prints, so you're buying things that come out in like pretty large editions, mm -hmm. uh, take a thumbtack and uh, put it on the wall. <laughs> because it's fine. I have... Because it, it's not there for you to try to like conserve it for some imaginary forever. It's there for you to look at right. and, and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so put it on the wall. And if you can afford a frame, I think frames just help me look at art better. Like, you know, there's a reason for the cliche about framing the conversation or framing the narrative or whatever, which is that frames are great and they're super useful mm -hmm. and they help us to frame the art. But you don't need a frame for every work of art that you own. Like we have, I, I think, like a fairly nice house and, and, and nice artwork and everything. But uh, there's a lot of stuff in our house that's just up against the wall, no frame, because we want to look at it. I also have little tips. One is that you can get 
and this isn't going to work for every piece of art, but you can get a, a frame that's pre-made and then get a custom mat. Yeah. So if you get the frame that's bigger than your art and then you have like go and you say like, can you get a mat that will fit this art into this frame? That's much less expensive than getting a whole frame. The other thing that we have done is bought art that is the size of frames that are available. <laughs> And that is a horrible reason to buy a piece of art, but we're not going to, I can't, I honestly, I can't, I can't engage with you on this question anymore. Like you should buy art that you love and you should never, ever, ever think about its size, except if you are thinking, is this too big to go into my house? (laughs) Can I fit it through the door? That's the only reason. It's like when people are on house hunters or whatever. And they go into a bedroom and they always are like, I don't know if this could fit our furniture. All right, Hank, I want to return to a land of (laughs) make-believe and ask this question from Liz, who writes, Dear John and Hank, Elsa can make ice with her powers. I I believe this is referring to Elsa from Frozen. Mm -hmm. Seems likely. I don't know if you've seen the film. I have. It's good. You haven't seen it as many times as I have. I'm sure that's true. If she were to go to the poles and just make all of that melted ice frozen again, would that solve climate change or would that just further mess up the environment? (laughs) Not a lizard, Liz. Uh, I mean, thermodynamically, there has to be some place that the heat is going when Elsa turns stuff to ice. I don't know where that is. It might just be inside of her. Like she has a very like dense piece of neutron star somewhere deep in her chest cavity where she stores all of the heat. Oh, man, I can't wait for them to explore that in Frozen 2. <laughs> so it might be that. I think the more important question, though, is when Elsa runs against giant stone Abraham Lincoln <laughs> in the 2020 election, <laughs> who are you going to vote for, John? For me, it's one of those things. It's it's 1A and 1B, right? Like, I'm definitely going to support both of them, if I'm being totally <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> I'm not sure how political we're allowed to get here on Dear Hank and John, but my own perspective is that giant stone Abraham Lincoln and Elsa, I don't really care which way the ticket goes, who's who's president, who's VP. Like, that's a strong (laughs) ticket to me. All right, good. Turns out global warming is super complicated and there's more to it than just ice caps melting. And one of the concerns that's out there is that as we try and like deal with the individual problems with sort of large scale solutions, we don't fix them all at the same time. So one of the ideas is to decrease the amount of energy in the atmosphere. And that would be sort of the frozen Elsa idea if she could just refreeze the ice caps so that the sea level doesn't go up and then we avoid that particular problem. Maybe also she can just cool the whole planet because she does seem to have that power, but that doesn't decrease the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So if when Elsa dies, I don't think anybody's ever sort of made the case that Elsa is immortal, then suddenly you have all that carbon dioxide still there. And indeed we have been producing more in the meantime because We didn't attack the root source of the problem. And now in this post-Elsa world, we are actually in a much worse situation. And also during that entire period of time, Elsa had only solved the temperature part of global warming and global climate change, whereas carbon dioxide's increased concentration in the atmosphere also increases the concentration of carbon dioxide in the oceans, which acidifies the oceans, which has wide-scale potential uh, ecosystem impacts that could make it difficult for a lot of different communities to continue subsisting, you know, off of the ocean. So there's all of these different pieces to the puzzle that I don't think Elsa could handle any of them on her own. A question that only Elsa actually could answer. Like, I don't know if she could do something where she could freeze carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. That would be really 
really powerful, useful tool. And then we'd have a bunch of dry ice for our Halloween parties. But I think that we'd need Elsie here to maybe sort of go to the war room with giant stone Abraham Lincoln and figure out how to take on all of the challenges at the same time. I have to make a serious recommendation on this front. Okay. I have started reading at my friend Henry Reich's uh, recommendation, a newsletter, Rate of Change, mm-hmm. and it's written by Atish Bhatia, and it is so helpful to me. It has been so helpful to me in understanding climate change. This is obviously something I've read a lot about. I know lots of people feel like they've read a lot about it, but somehow I also, at the same time, always feel underinformed. And this newsletter at rateofchange.substack.com has really helped me understand it way more deeply. So I, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's time for the million dollar idea. It's time for the million dollar idea. I went on Twitter and searched for the phrase million dollar idea. John, that's the part of the podcast where I went on Twitter and I searched for the phrase million dollar idea. And I'm going to report to you some people from Twitter every week, a different person. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. And I want to know subjectively my reactions to these ideas and also yours. Do you want to hear our first million dollar idea, John? I do want to hear our first million dollar idea. It's from Rod Aljabi Jr. Great. Who 30 minutes ago said, million dollar idea. In addition to ticket sales and views, maybe put a meter to record claps and responses at movie premieres. Factor that into the equation for best movie in the world. Why not? People are making money off of nearly anything now. So... I don't think that is a million-dollar idea. Do you think it's an idea? I think the underlying concept is interesting, where we are trying to figure out better metrics for understanding what people like. Mm -hmm. And we've Mm -hmm. figured out that what people will watch or what people will spend money on is not necessarily totally reflective of what they love or what they find useful. Mm -hmm. And so I understand the impulse to do this. In my opinion, all it's going to result in is like before, after the movie, the star of the movie comes on during the credits and says like, (laughs) hope you liked the movie. Don't forget to like and subscribe and clap your hands right now. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. There will totally be campaigns of people who will go to the movie and they'll be like, all right, hype it up. Everybody clap. Because as soon as as you create a new metric, people game the metric, right? And that's why money is a pretty good thing because it's at least like it's the end product. It's like, look, this is what we were going for. We were going for making money. And so now Endgame has made more money than Avatar. And that means it's the biggest movie ever. And you can't fake money. Like people are either spending it or they're not. I think it turns out, actually, you can fake you money. You can fake I money take it to back. an extent. A number of sure. people have faked have faked money, and it has worked out fairly badly for everyone involved. But I think I, I like the root of this idea, but only if it could be, like, completely secret. Also, I don't like to encourage people to yell inside of movie theaters. That just might be my old man speaking. But, like, let's just not... Because how do you feel about applaud, applauding at the end of a movie? At John? the end of the movie, you can do or say whatever you want. It's over now. Yeah. During the movie, I don't like to be interrupted from my movie experience by other people. Right. But after the movie, yeah, whatever. You want to boo, you want to clap, you want to stomp your feet. I think that's all great. What about the noise that I sometimes make during movies, which is like this one? It goes like... (laughs) 
when I like suddenly can't control myself and I like gasp out a oh, cry. Like at a jump scare or whatever? No, like when something's sad. I like, oh. I like can sometimes like kind of ugly cry at movies. And, I like, think make that's actual okay. Noises. Like you can't, I don't think you can control crying. Like I don't think most people can stop themselves from crying when they're feeling emotional. You can stop mm-hmm. yourself from like leaning over to your next seat neighbor and being like, now was she also in Pretty Woman? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our final verdict is not million dollar idea. I do like this bit, by the way, Hank, although I'm comparing it to the proposed bit where you were going to uh, to review the all-star music video for 419 consecutive episodes of this podcast. So, of course, I like it. All right. I like it, too. I went through and I read a lot of million dollar ideas. And boy, there are some doozies. I'm excited to get to more of them in the future. This next question comes from Nicole, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm getting married in a few weeks. And although I'm excited for the event, I'm worried that I will spend the entire ceremony and reception in tears. I'm an easy crier and I'll tear up if I see a cute dog or a romantic (laughs) scene in a movie or if I just think about how excited I am to get married and see all my distant family. Mm -hmm. In particular, I'm worried about the father-daughter dance and walking uh down the aisle. Uh-huh. I can't even listen to the song my father and I picked for our dance without crumbling into a sobbing mess. I feel so ridiculous for crying so easily, especially since I'm really very extraordinarily happy. And it's something I've struggled with a lot in my life. How could I not be a weeping mess on my wedding day? Sincerely, Nicole, P.S. Why do melons have weddings? Because, because they, they can't, can't elope. elope. That's a good That's yeah, a good dad remember, joke, Hank. I remember that one. I mean, I first heard that dad joke back in the... Back in the 90s. Because they can't That's an oldie. Elope. It's a classic. The real question is, why do humans have weddings when they can elope? Uh, yeah. I mean, that would be one way of solving Nicole's problem. Because the justice of the peace sees you cry, not a big deal. But it's also not embarrassing for you to cry at your own wedding. Just, uh, this is fine and normal. I was really worried about this because I am also an easy and frequent crier. Mm -hmm. And I did cry at my wedding. Mm -hmm. I cried a few times, but I didn't cry as much as I was worried about crying, in part because there was so much. Like you, Nicole, I cried a lot thinking about the wedding. Mm -hmm. Like I would get happy and feel emotional thinking about it. But then when it was actually happening, there was just so much sensory input that I did cry. But I was also feeling lots of other things like the fact that tons of people were looking at me and everything. Yeah. I've been to weddings where either the bride or the groom or both like cried throughout their entire vows and could barely get the words out. And it was lovely. It's it, the the thing is not to judge yourself for your emotional response to the experience. Like nobody's going to be mad at you. Mm-hmm. This is your day, and if the way that you process that joyful emotion is with tears, then great. Like let's happy cry together. Absolutely. And I think that if you like, if you actually didn't want to cry, the thing you'd have to do is to like mentally separate from yourself from the thing that you're doing. Right. And that's the last thing you want to do. You want to be there. You want to be present. You want to understand that like that all these people have come together to support you and that you're making a tremendous commitment for the rest of your life. And like all that stuff is so like should be captured and enjoyed and felt in that moment. So feel it like don't separate yourself from those emotions. And if you're a a weepy mess and you make a bunch of bad noises and you don't look like your your eyes are puffy or whatever, like that's the thing that you did that day. And that's that you sound and look and acted exactly how you should have. Exactly. And John, here's another question for us. It's from Campbell, who says, Dear Hank and John, I recently made a ring for my dad out of wood. It's nothing special. 
except that I did it completely by hand and my dad wears it every single day without fail. This is really nice and all, except that the ring is genuinely the worst thing I've ever seen. I want to make him a new one because the old one is ugly, but he won't let me because he says he likes this one. Should I go behind his back and make a new one or do I just leave it and forget about it? Yeah, you leave it and forget about it. Mm-mm, good. Campbell. You leave it and forget about it. You also included a picture of this ring and it, it looks, looks great. It looks great. It's a great ring. It's a beautiful wooden ring. It makes your dad happy. It makes your dad deeply, deeply happy because you made something for him. And that mm-hmm. fills him with a kind of pride and joy that until you are a parent, yeah. you can only imagine. And let him be happy. He loves, loves, loves that ring. I'll also say that like sometimes a bit of a rough ring is a good look for a ring. I agree. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. Like maybe your dad's like, don't get me like a fancy, like, you know, oak grain with like an inlaid metal. I don't want that. I want this like rugged. You want some scuffs. Ring that was made by an amateur. Well, look, lots of different kinds of rings can look good. I'm not here to diss on other rings. I'm here to compliment <laughs> Campbell's ring. But I will say that when I first got married, my ring was so shiny and bright. And I was always mm-hmm. like, God, I just cannot wait for this thing to be scuffed up a little so it doesn't look like I got married yesterday. And it finally <laughs> has achieved a really nice scuff. And if I lost my wedding ring, I would be devastated, not because it means anything like I could easily replace it with a different silver ring, but because the scuffs, like the accumulated wear of it is part of what makes it feel so important mm-hmm. to me. Absolutely. So Campbell, it's, it's not all about the beauty of the ring. It's also about the meaning of the ring. And that ring is important to your dad. All right, Hank, let's answer this question from Emily who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm sitting on the bus on my way to work and a woman has just walked on and I'm unsure if I know her or not. You see, I work as a video editor for events that I do not attend. During the (laughs) editing process, I look at sometimes the same set of faces for eight hours straight. I've seen some of the people I have edited on multiple occasions out and about. If I take the risk in thinking we know each other, I come off as creepy. But if I don't say anything, I come off as rude. Because what if we do know each other? What should I do? I was intimidated to write this email because I couldn't think of a name-specific sign-off. Emily. Uh, I, I, I just say, where do, what do, have we met? I, do, I say this all the time. I say, have we met? Probably three times a day. It's not a big town. And also, I don't want to take the risk. Yeah, I wouldn't say have we met, especially if you have an idea of what like wedding you're editing the video of. Mm -hmm. I would be like, hey, how's it going? And then they're going to be like uncomfortable and they're going to be like, hello. And then you say, how was uh, Maureen and Lauren's wedding? And then they're going to be like, what now? And you're going to go, how's, how, how, did you have fun? I saw you dancing with, uh, is that your husband? Uh, just go hard creepy, Emily. Just be as specific as you can. Just, just go, be like, yeah. You know what I remember more than anything is the chiffon in your dress. Anyway, I wasn't there, but, uh. <laughs> and then if you could if you could like uh point out the window and be like what is that and then run away really fast (laughs) like batman it that's ideal too you can really make them think they've been visited by a ghost anyway this is my stop great to see you again (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think a little we all of us could use a little more paranormal activity in our lives especially if it's just like public transit based innocuous paranormal activity Right. The bus was haunted. And then 
and then you're a Discovery Channel special. It reminds me of one time I was at a store and I was checking out and the person behind the counter said to me, I know who you are. And I was like, <laughs> uh, th- 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 thanks. Yeah. No, I had a, I had a, like a nine-year-old kid say to me last night at a baseball game, stranger, didn't know him, said, I know that you run SciShow. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, that, I do. It's that's true. okay. That's specific. Yeah. That's related uh-huh. to it. Yeah. I know who you are. It's like, <laughs> it's deep and it's weird. It implies to me that, that they know right. something about the in, inside of me. Right. That's like the thing you don't want to see written on the inside of the pizza box. When they drop it off. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Instead of like, hey, thanks for creating SciShow is fine written on the inside of the pizza box. I know who you are in all capital letters written <laughs> on the inside of the pizza box is like it's a level one emergency <laughs> which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by level one emergencies mm. level one emergencies they're the biggest kind yeah john has them yeah you know like once a month or so i mean sure yeah if it's a great month <laughs> This podcast is also brought to you by the ball of neutron star inside of Elsa's chest. <laughs> it's where all the heat goes. <laughs> and it is, as I understand it anyway, the most important plot point of the movie Frozen 2. This podcast is also brought to you by Sobbing at Your Wedding. Sobbing at Your Wedding, just just lean in. Lean in. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Giant Stone Abraham Lincoln's Giant Stone Diapers. I don't know why they're made of stone, <laughs> It makes it way harder to get them on and off. All right. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Mike and Christine Verata Stone to the Grateful Garment Project. Thanks to Lisa Blanchard and all the volunteers at the Grateful Garment Project for helping return dignity to victims of sexual violence. If you'd like to know more about their cause, they are at gratefulgarment.org. That's very nice of you to use your Project for Awesome donation to shout out a nonprofit organization that you care about. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone at Grateful Garment as well. All right. Everyone's used their Project for Awesome messages in such kind ways. Nobody's been like, please make a (laughs) fart noise for 12 (laughs) seconds. I mean, that would also be okay, though, just for clarity. Oh, I mean, Hank would be delighted. I love making fart noise. John, do you want to, is that your? This episode of Dear Hank John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is, but then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different. 
and more spreadable. Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Chris, do you want me to make a fart noise? Oh, no, that was not. Nope, that was not a request. It was an observation. All right, Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I have to issue a correction. It's extremely embarrassing. I don't know what came over me. I know. I, it's something else. I, yeah, something else, anyway, John. Seth wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, in your show entitled No Ticket Out from July 15th, Mr. J. Green, <laughs> by the way, I can tell that Seth is from Mississippi because he calls me Mr. J. Green, mm-hmm. and I like haven't been called that in print since the last time I was emailed by someone from Mississippi. Anyway, Mr. J. Green <laughs> proffered his idea of a wedding reception table featuring the Alabamanists of Eudora Welty and Flannery O'Connor, neither of whom are from Alabama. <laughs> Flannery O'Connor was a Georgian, and Eudora Welty was, of course, a proud Mississippian, as is Seth. Uh, along with William Faulkner and many other great artists and writers. I urge Mr. J. Green to reconcile this and further consider the Mississippiness of the literary world. As Faulkner allegedly said, to understand the world, you must first understand a place like Mississippi. That does sound like something Faulkner allegedly said. For all of the (laughs) problems the Magnolia State has, I humbly ask you not to take away what we have given to the literary world. Obliged, Seth. First off, Seth, great sign-off, great email, loved every part of it. If I'm going to be corrected, it's nice to be done so generously. And uh, yeah, of course, Edorn Wealthy is from Mississippi. I mean, I went to the Oxford Conference of the Book the year that Eudora Welty was the writer who was being analyzed. So I, of all people, should know this. But yeah, I don't know what came over me thinking about the South. And I, I do have a bad habit in general of thinking that Alabama equals the South because that is the South that I grew up with. But yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, Hank, it's time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. The news from AFC Wimbledon, the season is creeping, creeping ever closer. Uh, we're playing Rotherham in our first game on August the 3rd. So it's really quite soon. Yeah, it feels like the offseason was like like six weeks. I agree. It, it was a short offseason for some reason. But we did play in the last week two friendly matches. One against mm-hmm. uh, Met Police, which is not entirely composed of members of the Metropolitan Police, but used to be. And one against Hampton and Richmond Borough. Now, both of those teams are a couple few levels below us in the footballing pyramid, mm-hmm. but we won those games. Hey! Our first two wins of the preseason. So I'm psyched <laughs> to have kind of be to be ramping up with a couple of victories as we prepare to take on Rotherham on August 3rd in the first game of the season that matters. Woo. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I'm glad that you are capable of scoring goals, uh, and I'm excited to see how the season gets off to a start. So Joe Pickett's still on the team. Like, it's gonna, it's like done. Joe Pickett's still on the team. We also just signed a new kid, Callum Riley. Maybe I shouldn't call him a kid since he's 25 years old. Uh, his contract was canceled by mutual consent with Gillingham, hmm. and so we picked him up. That's our kind of guy. All right. <laughs> we'll see how he does. <laughs> our manager, Wally Downs, said, and I'm quoting, Callum is a good passer of the ball. <laughs> <laughs> he is. I have seen him accomplish multiple good kicks. <laughs> it's essentially like the Hank Green analysis of Lionel Messi. <laughs> He's good with both the little kicks and the bigger kicks. <laughs> yeah. 
It's true. I, I, I've noticed that about Messi. At least. <laughs> um, What's the news from this Mars? Weekend, <laughs> this week in Mars news, uh, seismologists at ETH Zurich have brought Mars quakes, John, yeah. to Earth what? using a quake simulator wow. or a shake room. So this is a room that lets them plug in seismic event data to feel what a quake feels like so we've got the data from Mars, and then we bring it to Earth, and then we experience the, the quake ourselves. They're part of an international team looking at data from the size seismometer. Uh, it's part of the Mars InSight mission, which measured its first Mars quake back in April. Uh, size is one of the most sensitive seismometers that has ever existed. I almost said on Earth, but it's not on Earth, which is important because the signals it's measuring on Mars uh, can be really quiet and hard to detect. So much so that the Zurich team actually had to amplify the Mars quake by a factor of 10 million Whoa. for them to feel it in the shake room. Oh, So it was a little tremor. Wait. So Mars quakes, even though they're frequent, they're not like terrifying. No, yeah, no. Mars is, I, I'm sure that it's had uh, accompanying its volcanic eruptions, some pretty big earthquakes, but uh, it is tectonically locked. So it doesn't have earthquakes the same way Earth does. Oh. Um, but we, we can learn a few things from the shake room. Um, so they can feel that strongly amplified Mars quake and they can compare it to seismic activity here on Earth versus also the moon, the mm. other body that we have quake data for. Wait, the moon uh, quakes? The geology. Yeah, there's moon quakes, John. Whoa. God. Yeah. The universe is weird. Yeah. The geology of the Earth and the moon and Mars are all, of course, different. And so the seismic activity is different on those bodies. Earthquakes are shorter uh, usually lasting around 10 seconds to several minutes, while moonquakes can go on for an hour or more. Mm. And Marsquakes, with our limited data so far, seem to be somewhere in the middle with maybe like earthquakes 10 to 20 minutes long and are of one or two types. There's one that has a higher frequency signal and that kind of looks like a moonquake to us. And then there's a second type that has a lower frequency signal that we think probably might just be quakes that are occurring farther away from the seismometer. Mm. So size is still gathering data. It hasn't been going for that long. So we maybe haven't caught all of the different types of quakes that Mars can have. And it will continue giving us new data for us to work with and maybe some stronger quakes for those Zurich-based scientists to quake themselves around with. So if you're standing on the surface of Mars, you wouldn't feel a Mars quake. No, not any of the ones we've felt so far. No. That's super helpful to me because I don't know if you know this, but whenever I like ask Alice if she wants to move to California, she's always like, no, 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 no. Earthquakes. And then I'll be like, I mean, I feel that. I'll be like, okay, do you want to move to Hawaii? And she'll be like, no, of course not. Volcanoes. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, right. Okay. You want to move to, I don't know, like uh, Eastern North Carolina? And she'll be like, no, tsunamis. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like maybe Mars is a good solution for Alice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about uh, Indianapolis is that, like, nothing happens. Well, just tornadoes, which Alice is terrified of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandable. Understandable. We don't have uh, super bad natural disasters here in Missoula, except for terrible, terrible, intense wildfires and very bad snowstorms and uh, floods. 
So just those three kinds. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, which is a bummer. Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. It's been a pleasure. Mm. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week in Ryan's. It's the worst podcast you will ever hear in your entire life. It's available only at patreon.com slash John. I can't believe people pay for it, but they do. Yeah, thank you to all the people who pay for it. I think it's lovely. <laughs> this podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're hearing right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.